FDBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. On this day that we honor the legacy and the memory of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, we have a panel assembled that is just a, a, a wonderful group to talk about Dr. King. Um, and before I introduce him, I just want to quickly tell my story. Um, I've said before on the show, I was um, working in Chicago in uh, journalism in Chicago in uh, most of 1983, but was hired to come down here to work for WSB-TV at the end of 83. The last major story that I covered before moving down here was the election of Harold Washington, who became the first African-American mayor of Chicago. And I remember being out uh, covering uh, uh, Harold Washington as he was on the campaign trail, going into neighborhoods where people threw rocks at him, where um, he was called every ugly racial epithet you could possibly imagine. Uh, And yet he became the first African-American mayor, as I said, of the city. He was victorious in the end. And so on my mind, as I was starting to make the transition to move here, uh, was the issue of civil rights, racial progress. How far had we come as a country? Obviously, I arrived in Atlanta long after Dr. King had been assassinated. But I did get here at a time when Ralph Abernathy, Andy Young, Hosea Williams, C.T. Vivian, all of the great lieutenants in the battle for civil rights who'd worked with uh, Dr. King were still here and in many cases still active. And so um, I felt this incredible thrill and honor to get the opportunity to um, deal with, work with, get to know these people who had um, I'd only read about in newspaper articles or seen in TV news clips. This is truly the cradle of the civil rights movement, and so it's why today we particularly honor the memory of Dr. King. With that in mind, let me get right to the great panel that we have lined up for you. Jim Galloway, of course, joins us. He's the uh, former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I should point out, Jim, like every other member on the panel today— you were you're a native Georgian. So are every is everyone on our panel today. Uh, and uh, so uh, you were you know awfully young when Dr. King was active, but certainly uh, he was an important uh, force in your life. I am close to born, being born and raised here. Uh, I was carried south from uh, Cleveland on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. Oh, okay. <sighs> Uh, which was the day of another assassination, uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I was, I was, but I was in seventh grade in the, in South Fulton uh, when when King was shot. It was it was it, uh, it was the first time in my life that I actually saw news passed by by word of mouth. We were in a we were in a high school auditorium. Uh, Lakeshore High School had 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 a, had a talent show, and the lights had just gone up. And you could see the news of King's death flow from the top of the room, row by row by row, 
uh, uh, right through the crowd. It was it was it was uh, it was a stunning moment. Um, thank you for that reflection. We'll talk get get more from you on how his life um, impacted you. We're also joined today by Al Vivian. I mentioned CT. Uh, Vivian, one of the great civil rights leaders, Al, his son, has carried on his father's work at Basic Diversity, a company that trains uh, businesses, uh, nonprofit organizations in how to deal appropriately with uh, race and, uh, and, and matters regarding equal justice. Al, thank you so much for being uh, with us today. You were just a baby <laughs> when your dad was working with Dr. King, right? Yes, and, and actually, so I'm similar to Jim on this. We weren't living in Atlanta then, so direct, dad was the director of affiliates. Uh, so he traveled everywhere uh, training all the other SELC branches. So we were actually in Chicago. Uh, and so I was, I, I remember the day King was assassinated, I mean, vividly. I can see it in my mind's eye right now. Uh, we were all in the living room at our home, and it comes across the news that King had just been shot. My father was not home yet. Uh, we all, of course, stopped and looked at the screen because this wasn't just the civil rights icon. It was Dad's boss. Uh, and yeah. so we just all looked at each other, and then Dad entered the house. He walked in the house. He heard it on the radio in route home. He walked in the house, and it was like a... It was like an emergency deployment readiness exercise. He and mom didn't say a word. They just looked at each other, and immediately dad went to the bedroom and started packing the bag, and mom immediately started calling the airlines uh, to make a reservation. And within minutes, dad was out the door heading to the airport to fly to Memphis. But, of course, before he got there, King had, had died. So right after dad left, we found out King had died. And then the next day, I remember the, the protest down the street, uh, uh, I was at 87th and Avalon in Chicago, and I'm sure you're a Chicago guy, you know that area. Yeah. And I'm yeah. standing at the corner watching people march down the street, just mad, but very peaceful, somber, mad, peaceful, just marching down the street. I just remember the just standing there watching this in amazement as a little kid. I was uh, seven, I think. Uh Please, you told us a quick story before we went on the air. Please tell us what, what your parents told you about Dr. King uh, when you were a little baby. <laughs> oh, so, so, so I, uh, being that young, I remember, I've met, I met King twice. Um, I remember uh, one meeting him. I remember Coretta a lot more, uh, but I remember that mom telling me that, 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 King kissed me on my forehead. I, I have no memory of that. I wish I did. But he kissed me on my forehead when I was a little kid. <laughs> uh, I love that. Um, Maria Supporte is with us. Of course, she is the editor and the founder of the Supporter Report and has had a long and illustrious career as a business journalist in Atlanta. So I've been wrong about people being natives. I thought I did know that. But Maria, I can I can securely say you are one. And one of the things that I've always loved hearing you talk about is your friendship with uh, Dr. King's daughter, Yolanda, and how that brought you into contact with Dr. King. Yeah, I was so lucky uh, in life. Um, to, in 1966, uh, uh, Spring Street Elementary School became integrated with the King family and the Abernathy family. And I was uh, at 
at Spring Street, and I was aware of the integration. Um, one day I go into the bathroom, and there's a girl that's crying. Somebody had um, made some very derogatory remarks to her, and um, I reached out to her, not knowing who she was, and I gave her a hug and uh, later found out that was Yolanda King. And from that moment on, we became best friends. So that was in the fall of 66. And um, I would spend the night at her house. She would spend the night at, at my house. Uh, I was living in an apartment on the Georgia Tech campus. Um, and we would, uh, you know, I became very close to the whole family. Uh, I would go over to dinner on a Saturday night. Um, the first time I met Martin Luther King, um, we were eating dinner around the table and uh, King said, um, you know, there was a lot of discussion. And then as dinner was finished, uh, he, he was clearing the dishes and he wash, he was washing the dishes. And he said to me, here, why don't you sit up on the kitchen counter and dry the dishes while I wash them? And I was just amazed, uh, you know, to, that you would have someone of his stature actually doing the housework. Um, but uh, we spent 45 minutes, and he uh, talking uh, to the point that uh, Yolanda, I knew her as Yoki, uh, came in and said, you came to hang out with me, not talk to my dad. Um but I wish I could had a recording of what we talked about. All I know is he treated this 11-year-old girl with such respect, wanted to know what I thought about the world. Uh, looking back, I'm sure I was the first white child to have spent the night in uh, their home. Uh, I think, you know, if I were to romanticize the encounter, it was a way of his dream um, coming alive of white children and black children walking arm in arm. Um, I, I have such vivid memories. I, I knew at the time what a unique moment in my life um, this was. I, I have often said my life peaked when I was 11 years old, and uh, it did. I mean, I, I can remember the aura of Martin Luther King. Uh, and I, I can share more, but uh, because I would spend the night there on a Saturday night, I would go to church with them on Sunday morning. And I was able, at least on two occasions, to hear Martin Luther King preach. And it was at the time that he was fighting against the war in Vietnam. And again, I have some very vivid memories of what he said and what he did. I, I have to say I was totally mesmerized, taken, and he has shaped my life ever since. Um, let me ask you a, a question that um, may seem uh, reductive, self-evident in some ways, but what, when you, what was the aura of Dr. King like? Was there an energy about him? Uh, you talk about him sit, doing the dishes while you dried him having this uh, quiet, intellectual, apparently, conversation. Uh, but d did you feel a sense of his, was he charismatic? How would you describe well, a, him from the I, point, to, point of view of an 11-year-old? There was a magnetism to him. He was someone who would draw you in. And um, I saw that as 
all the time that I was around him, um, his impact on other people. He he had a way of a command, his, having a commanding presence. He was not a tall. He was maybe five, six or something. Uh, um, but his spirit was so, so strong. And um, I remember one time my parents and I, uh, we went to a concert at Ebenezer. And uh, King and his family was coming up right at the same time that we were coming up. And he holds out his arms to give me a, a huge hug, you know, and... I can still feel his arms around me. Uh, there was something just so powerful and and warm about him. I, I don't think any of the movies that have been done of him have ever portrayed the person that that I knew. Um, oh. He was he was he had a sense of humor, a, a lot of he and he drew people in. He had he had some kind of magnetism that that was really unique. Um, we're also joined today by Fred Smith, who uh, most of you who listen to this show regularly know is a professor of constitutional law at Emory University. Um, and Fred, you're you're way much, much, much too young to uh, have uh, been uh, aware of Dr. King. I mean, he was he was gone long before you were born. But your parents uh, were significant and continue to be uh, significant leaders of civil and human rights in Athens, where you grew up. And, and I would assume, Fred, that uh, they were influenced heavily by the work of Dr. King. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I would say growing up, one of the, one of the ways that they contributed the most was by working with youth. Uh, and so they uh, created an organization um, that you know, for six-week intervals at a time, uh, about two or three uh, times a year, um, would uh, would teach youth in public speaking and uh, business skills um, and uh, and also in history. Uh, and so till this day, they run an annual uh, Black History Bowl uh, in Athens, um, which is always uh, always a great event. Uh, and so growing up in that context, <laughs> I'm told when I was three or four years old uh, on Black History programs, um, I would, I, that, that, you know, when I was barely able to kind of really form uh, sentences, um, that the first speech I ever gave, which just to be, was to quote Dr. King, when evil men plot, good men must plan. <laughs> when evil men plot, <laughs> good men must plan. <laughs> um, and it's, it's still sort of uh, kind of in my head. And, uh, you know, and so growing up, um, you know, my parents uh, encouraged me to, uh, memorize the yeah, I Have a Dream speech uh, and uh, the famous mountaintop speech. And part of memorizing that meant that uh, at night uh, it would be playing by tape recorder <laughs> in the background as I would go to sleep. <laughs> that was part of the uh, the, the learning of it. <laughs> um, and so, uh, no, I, I, I didn't grow up in the time of Dr. King, uh, but I grew up in a household um, where his message of uh, breaking America's caste system and his message of love resonated deeply. Um, you described just before the show went on the air uh, a fairly recent uh, action of your father's that certainly uh, speaks to uh, uh, a, a, a cry in your household for social and, and racial justice. Sure, right. Well, the University of Georgia recently, when they were expanding uh, Baldwin Hall, uh, encountered human bodies. Um, and uh, the initial report was that the 
uh, remains belong to people of European descent, according to the initial press release. But my father uh, had reason to believe that this was a slave burial site, site and um, pushed and encouraged uh, very publicly at the university to test the human remains. Um, and it was discovered that they were uh, the bodies of uh, of people of African descent, and that they were almost mm-hmm. certainly bodies of people who uh, built the University of Georgia through and under uh, under chattel slavery. Um, and that invited uh, much larger reflections, both at the university and throughout the community, um, about uh, what is owed to the people who came before. Uh, who built the university? What was owed to them? What level of respect? And and when you ask the question, what's owed to their bodies? What's owed to their their literal grave site? Um, it invites all kinds of other questions about what's owed uh, to their memory, what's owed to their will, what's owed to their spiritual strivings, um, which I think is a question that we can more broadly ask about people who, uh, in the past, in the United States, uh, face uh, that kind of exploitation. Um, so it was an important moment for the university, an important moment uh, for Athens. I can't say that um, that the university got that exactly right. Um, and uh, you know, another person who uh, who was uh, who you know who came to Athens and and pushed the university to think about those issues is Michael Thurman, who's going to be on uh, later, um, and who, uh, who kind of joined hands with my dad and and, and helped take on that fight too. Um, yeah, yep. so that's uh, that's the most recent. Go f- I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yes, Michael Thurman uh, is going to be joining us about halfway through the show. He's as CEO of DeKalb County. He's involved in an activity, a King Day activity right now, but he very much wanted to be here with all of you, and and we expect him by about halfway through the show. Let let me just go around again. Al Al Vivian, um, basic diversity has been a – your father uh, founded basic diversity as a way of uh, helping – I think – Businesses, nonprofits. You'll tell me if it if I'm not get, bringing everybody in there. Maybe maybe some government uh, entities as well uh, understand uh, how they need to break down uh, uh, racial barriers. How they have to address how how in many cases the white people who work in these organizations have to confront uh, what they perhaps hadn't even recognized as being uh, racist uh, thinking in some way. But uh, when your dad founded that organization and, and a, that you now run, did, was he thinking, I suppose, about how important it was that that was one way to carry on the legacy of Dr. King? Yes, that was exactly it. So <clears throat> the, the company's name originally was BASIC, and it's, it was an acronym. It was Black Action Strategies and Information Center. And so when I came on board um, – I wanted to expand it out to talk about more than just race, the full spectrum of diversity, so I changed the basic diversity. Uh, but the, the reality is that he knew King's work had to be carried on, and the only way to really change America, because we are a capitalistic society, is to change corporate America. So originally, his, his emphasis was towards corporations. However, uh, corporations were not looking at doing this kind of work back in 1974 when Dad started the company. Uh, uh, but he did the Oprah show in 1989 and ended up being the first person to get two full consecutive days on the Oprah show, which was not by plan. He was supposed to just get the one day. Uh, so they, they, what they did was Oprah show filmed 
a a uh, the the two day race uh, 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 workshop that we do, the race awareness workshop, which now is called the race experience. And the plan was to have two or three of the the participants come onto the show and make comments uh, on the show. And uh, when it was when they called the people to see which ones they were going to choose to come on the show of the participants, all of them had awesome things to say, so all of them ended up being on the show. Uh, they had two microphones in the audience where people could get in the line and come up to the microphones and make comments. When it was time to go off the air, the phone lines were backed up, and the lines to the microphone were all the way to the back of the building. So they, they went off air at the end of the show as they were supposed to, but they continued filming, and they made the decision that night to cancel the show that was going to be on next and show the continuation of Dad. Uh, I, I was an Army captain at the time and wasn't thinking about doing this work for a living. It's always been a passion issue for, for me, but I wasn't planning on this being my career. And the moment I saw Dad on the show and doing what he did, I knew what he did. I'd never seen it. I knew at that moment, oh, that's what I'd rather be doing because I could have a bigger impact on society doing this work than I could do what I was doing for Uncle Sam. Uh, but, yeah, we work with corporations, government agencies, nonprofits, and educational institutions. Our, our goal is to, is to help change the entire society. But, so the whole work was about creating the more perfect union. And so you can't do that if no one's listening, if you're not reaching all the major sectors of the world. So uh, you can't have a more perfect union that's, if it's loaded with racism, sexism, homophobia, and et cetera. So our goal is to create a society in which everybody is fair, uh, treated in a fair, equitable way. And so we do that via um, multiple seminars. That was our original, but we've done all kinds of work and consulting work and et cetera. Well, Al, I have a little news for you. Uh, you're talking about your dad on the Oprah show. Phil Donahue, when he was the big star of daytime television, had your dad's uh, former partner, Charles King, lead a session on his show. And I was chosen as one of the participants (laughs) in that. So uh, I go back with basic a very long way. Michael Thurman has now joined us. You know him as the CEO of DeKalb County. Um, And uh, we're really glad, Michael, you could be with us today. Thanks for joining us. You've been doing some uh, county work this morning, right? Michael, have we got you? I think you have me. Now we do. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, we've got you. Oh, yeah. We're distributing 10,000 rapid COVID at-home kits throughout DeKalb County today. Sorry I'm running late, but delighted to be on with uh, Professor Smith, who I've known literally the entire life, of course, and, of course, Mr. Vivian and your other panelists. Great being here. Um, Michael, uh, uh, Fred Smith talked about uh, the fact that he, he told us that you have been a mentor of his. And I wanted to be, I wanted to just get you, and then I want everybody on the panel to weigh in on this. Just give me your personal reflections on this King Day holiday. What Dr. King's influence has been on you over the years. You know, we all know he was uh, what an important leader he was, but in your own personal way, how has he impacted your life? Well, the commitment to continue the struggle, the fight, uh, to reach out, to build bridges, uh, to not grow weary in your good doing. And I think that's especially important today in America in January 2022. 
uh, I hear and see a tremendous amount of frustration and disappointment. But we miss the arc of this movement that's expanded literally 400 years. Uh, what we forget is that the end of the Civil War that ended legal slavery really kicked off the movement to, to get equal rights or full citizenship rights for African Americans. Dr. King uh, was the titular head of the modern movement, but that was well over 100 plus years that preceded that struggle. So we need to see ourselves as part of a protracted struggle. Uh, this is not a 30-minute sitcom. There will be victories. There will be disappointments and defeats. Uh, we will make progress, and then oftentimes there will be retrenchment. But Dr. King's life and his legacy teaches us that the arc of eternity is long, but it always being toward justice. That's the meaning of that great statement, one of his great quotes. It, it's long but it always being toward justice. And, you know, it may or may not come in my life or your life, or we may live in a period of great progress or a period of great retrenchment, but we will continue to move forward. Jim? You know, um, Bill, and you, you and I have talked about this uh, uh, before, but I think the, 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 the greatest question facing uh the United States right now, and it's 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 going to fall on the the next gener couple generations, not us. Is is the, the the creation the true creation of a multiracial democracy in America? And to me, uh, yeah, I, I will take I will take everything that Michael just said as gospel. But I would I would also add to me, King represents kind of a, a restart button. A, a, ch a chance, and and if you if you think of it in that way, we have only been it's it's you know just barely over a half a century. Have have we been uh, a, a true? Uh, have we had our, our our eye really on the goal of becoming a multiracial society? And we are now reaching. I I, I think we are reaching a, kind of a a, a, a very in, uh, critical inflection uh, point because you have. Th 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 the transfer of power is never peaceful. I mean, it's never, it's, it's, it's never, it is never an easy thing to do. And that what we're, what we're seeing right now is we are seeing political power in America be redistrib redistributed. And there are going to be tensions with that. You can see that tension very clearly with, with, uh, with uh, former president Donald Trump and everything he is, is currently saying. Uh, and, and so I think, the the fight is current, uh, and it, and and for the next twenty forty years is going to be critical. Uh, we may get there, we may not. Uh, you know, I I love that line. The uh, the the the, ar the the arc of justice is is, is uh, the, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. I'm yeah. a little more skeptical. I say it just bends. Yeah, I I want to pick up. In fact. I want to get each of you to weigh in on, on just this notion of personal reflections, and then we're going to take a break, and I do want to talk more about the politics of all this, especially given that we're in the last week, watch the voting rights bills in, in the Senate uh, collapse, and there's no way of knowing if they're ever going to uh, uh, be back up there. But Maria, why don't you give us just a couple of your thoughts about uh, what you, how you reflect on King today? Well, I use this holiday and the King holiday weekend as a time to reflect and to 
take stock on how I'm living my life and am I, I'm living it to the ideal king. I take it really personally. I look at the world around me. Who are my friends? Who do I reach out to? Am I uh, living up to the ideals of, of Dr. King? I, and also I reflect on the role that Georgia plays in continuing this whole conversation. I mean, when we look at uh, Biden coming to Atlanta to argue for voting rights, it's because this is the cradle uh, of civil rights. This is the place where King and and C.T. Vivian and and Ralph Abernathy and Andrew Young, who continues uh, the good fight, uh, we are so lucky to live in this city and in this state that had these visionaries that really changed the world. And uh, I think it's important for us never to forget the role that they played in our history and the role that Atlanta and Georgia has played uh, nationally and internationally. Fred? Yeah. So typically I would go to the Lord Rustin's uh, breakfast, which is a, a great breakfast that takes place every year downtown but um, it's not happening this year. Um, and of course, watch the Ebenezer Baptist Church event, which uh, to Maria's point, um, it, it, is a, it is a proud moment, <laughs> right? Every year, uh, you know, when, uh, when folks come uh, to Georgia, come to uh, Atlanta uh, and celebrate um, this particular um, legacy. Um, and, you know, it is, it is a time to act, right? So there's this discussion I'm hearing about the moral universe uh, and whether it bends toward justice, and I think the answer is yes, but the answer is someone has to do the bending, right? It's 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 us um, <laughs> through uh, through our actions uh, who have to actually kind of um, to pick up the mantle and actually do um, the work, and that can look that can, there's lots of ways that can look for different people depending on what folks' uh, skill sets are and what people's kind of spheres of influence are, but whatever that sphere of influence are uh, is, and whatever. Kind of uh, your specific skill set might be thinking about how do you uh, how do you lend uh, your hand um, and finally I think uh, I reflect on uh, three words love imagination uh, and memory uh, so uh, Dr King's uh, message uh, of love and empathy and seeing the humanity of every human being uh, remembering uh, and uh, you know I'm very fearful of the ways that right now like there's kind of a uh, an impetus toward, in lots of different ways, uh, forgetting. Uh, and, uh, it's, and instead, I think this is a great opportunity to lean into remembering and memory. And I think if we do those things, it can spark our imagination. It can make us feel bolder uh, because we can see people who did uh, things that feel that, that were heroic and feel unimaginable, and they can make them uh, imaginable. And we can sort of figure out how to navigate our own time, how to take uh, to, to uh, to CEO Thurman's remarks, how to take moments of progress and 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 make the most of them, and how to uh, navigate uh, retrenchment, uh, which we certainly are experiencing right now as well. Um, okay, fine. Thank you for that. Uh, let's do this. Let's get to our first break of the show, and when we come back, we'll have more to say about the legacy of Dr. King, and we'll talk a bit about how it plays into the politics of today. You're listening to Political Rewind. <laughs> Uh, 
On this King holiday, I'm joined by Jim Galloway, by Al Vivian, uh, at, who is uh, the CEO and president of Basic Diversity, his father, C.T. Vivian's uh, company, by Maria Saporta for the Saporta Report, Fred Smith, a constitutional law professor at Emory, and uh, Michael Thurman, CEO of DeKalb County. Um, Michael, the quote, which we played at the very top of the show from Dr. King, is the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And you... And a couple of you suggested that you think that's correct. Fred Smith, a little bit more skeptically, said somebody's got to do the bending. So right now, I mean, there are many, many issues that relate, obviously, Michael, to racial justice, to e- true equality. Right now, the one that is clearly in the uh, getting m- the most attention is the fed- efforts to pass a federal voting rights bill, two of them actually, Uh, Democrats who believe that Republican-dominated states across country, including Georgia, have passed uh, laws that are going to suppress minority votes. So, Michael, um, given what you saw last week with uh, the president coming to Atlanta, thumping the podium, saying, we're going to get these bills passed, I'm not going to give up, and then by the end of the week saying, well, I don't think we can do it. Michael, what just that one front— a voting rights law, it does the moral arc of the universe bend towards justice? Yes, absolutely. And it, uh, there is a spirit that uses and, um, and, and will embrace certain individuals to ensure that the bending takes place in terms of what Professor Smith is saying. Look, this is my point. Apparently, we don't have enough votes in the Senate to change the filibuster rule uh, right now. Uh, And that's just a fact. Apparently, at the Georgia House of Representatives, the Republicans uh, have a majority of the votes in the House and the Senate and the governor's office. We got to elect different people. You know, and I've said this, and I'm going to say it again. I don't care what they do or don't do. I'm going to vote. Now, it may be more difficult, but is it more difficult than what it was in 1930 or 1940 or 1900? No, we have to vote. And just because uh, uh, they won't break the filibuster in Washington, I'm not going to give up this fight. And no one else should. Yes, it's more difficult. Yes, they are trying to undermine voting rights of people of color. All of that's true, but it's not new. Al Vivian, well, we, um, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, finish, Michael. No, 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 please finish. Yeah, it's not new. Look at the history. Nothing about this is new, but that did not stop C.T. Vivian. It didn't stop Martin Luther King. It didn't stop Hosea Williams. It didn't stop Andrew Young. It didn't stop Fannie Lou Hamer. And it will not stop us if we recognize and understand who we are and whose we are and that these so-called uh, obstacles have been placed there before we've overcome them and see what they really want to do. A big part of all of this movement is to really discourage turnout. The, the obstacles are real, but the real strategy bill is mental, psychological, and emotional. What they're trying to do is suppress the turnout. All that's true, but it may or may not necessarily be by these laws that are being passed. The laws are hurtful, but psychologically, what is really happening is even more damaging because you see it and you hear it. 
See, because I tell folks, you know, the ticket tape parade, they already bought the confetti because they just know people are not going to vote in 2022. And I'm saying no. <laughs> Thank you for that. Help, Vivian, um, you, you work to bring people together in your company. Uh, during his rally over the weekend in Arizona, uh, Jim Galloway pointed out to me that uh, Donald Trump made probably one of the most um, bald-faced statements he has made yet, dividing people along racial lines. He, during his rambling uh, speech, he was talking about vaccines, um, and he said this. This is a quote. If you're white, you don't get the vaccine. Or if you're white, you don't get therapeutics. In New York State, if you're white, you go to the back of the line if you want help. Now, first of all, none of that is true. Um, but, but there are forces out there aligned with Donald Trump who are doing exact opposite of what your entire life's work is all about, figuring out a way to bring us together. So, again, does the moral arc of the universe bend towards justice? Yeah, well, you know, you're always going to have people out there doing those things. Uh, this is the first time in the modern era that we've had a president, in this case a former president, <clears throat> leading that push. Uh, I, I, I kind of, I, I guess I'm in between um, uh, Fred and, 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 uh, and of course, uh, the CEO on this, on where, we, where we're going. I do believe that. Uh, I love Fred's line that, yeah, that somebody's got to do the bending, and it has to be us. So I think we have to, uh, an acronym I made up years ago, FOCUS, as fiercely overcoming challenges until success. We, we just got to keep moving on. Now, um, the obstacles are there. They're real. They're going to continue to be there. Uh, I'm not surprised uh, by Trump lying. That's what he does. Uh, the, the, the reality is, is that um, – we are in a very extreme time um, where the arc is bending the wrong way, unfortunately. But that's why we have to focus. Uh, Fred said something about memory, you know, the, 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 the memory of our society, so to speak, when he was talking earlier. And he's he spot on. The reason why people are not seeing really what's happening, you know, those, the reason why many whites don't see the blatant racism of Trump is because we don't get taught American history in America taught American ideology. We get taught American mythology. If we taught real American history, people could see this stuff coming because, uh, as, as was said earlier, uh, this stuff is not new. Jim said it's not new, and it's not. We've gone through this again and again and again and again. But if we really taught American history, everybody would be able to see it. Uh, whites of every age group would be able to see it because it's so, and now it's so blatant you can't help but to see it unless you want not to see it. Uh, but we we just got to keep pushing on. We got we got to focus. Um, I'm disheartened because this is Dad and everybody else on King's team would tell you that the um, the most important, the most impactful thing, the pinnacle of the civil rights movement was voting rights. And right now that is massively under attack. Uh, by the way, on that point, um, what we don't understand is that we forget to really acknowledge it this way. So we know who the founding fathers were. They were the founders of the nation, but they were not the founders of democracy. ML King's team, dad included, that was, those were the, the mothers and fathers of democracy. 
they ensured democracy. Before that, we were calling ourselves a democracy, but we weren't. We were hypocrisy. When you call yourself one thing, but you're something else, that's hypocrisy. We were calling ourselves a democracy, but we weren't. If millions of people were denied access to the vote simply because of the color of their skin, that's not democracy. That's something else. King and his team pushed us into becoming a democracy. So those are the fathers and the mothers of democracy, and people need to really understand that and start pushing it and talking about it that way. Uh, Maria. (laughs) Yeah, I am reminded of the many times that I went to the King service at Ebenezer. There was Johnny Isaacson. He always attended. It, It was a sense of respect, honor, duty, and, you know, that gave me hope for the future to see Johnny Isaacson at Ebenezer willing to uh, meet, talk, listen uh, to everyone uh, in the congregation and, and beyond. He is gone in, in so many ways, uh, not only physically, but his spirit in the Republican Party seems to not be there. And that's what concerns me is this period that we are in of hyperpolarization where you can't be a Republican and be supportive of voting rights. Who who would have thunk that? You know, it it's something that had been um uh, honored, pushed by Republicans and and that's what I miss. That's what I worry about. I, I don't know how we can shift as a country to create that greater sense of common will, common good that crosses over party lines. And and that's what makes me sad today. Uh, Jim, uh, Marty King, Martin Luther King III uh, said over the weekend, and he said he's speaking for the family, said, don't celebrate my dad uh, on his birthday, which was Saturday, on Monday, on the King holiday, as long as you're not fighting for, if you're not fighting for voting rights, you can't you, uh, uh, celebrate him. You would be a hypocrite uh, to do so. Uh, and they're in Washington today where they're going to try to pressure uh, members of the Senate to take up this uh, fight again. But it's, uh, it, it's a pretty dim, look. It, the cause looks pretty dim right now. Yeah, you know, and, and if you... Uh, if, if if we keep going back to to, to the 1960s and and, and I, but I think that's a, it's it's a it's a very smart thing to do. Uh, you had a new group of, of of voters coming online. You had African Americans who were finally getting the, the franchise to vote, and you had two parties. Uh, it, you know, it may have been less so in 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 the, in the South, but you had two parties who wanted those people. Who felt those people were a key to 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 getting political victories, uh, rep- both Republicans and Democrats, or urban urban Democrats specifically. You know, we now have a a a Republican Party that is that has been completely bleached. Uh, it is it is it is it's 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 you know it is a, a it is a ninety five ninety six percent party of of white people. They have no. <clears throat> So they have no skin in the game of 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 this campaign for voting rights, and that to me is 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 uh, to, to to build on on Maria's point. That's the most disturbing thing that I'm watching today. Uh, let's get to the final break of the show and come back with uh, more on political rewind. <laughs> Uh, 
Michael Thurman, uh, uh, you joined us a little late, and so I didn't get to ask you a question that I've asked the others, which is a talk just to, for briefly uh, about your memories, your reflections about having watched King. You're old enough that you did get to see uh, Dr. King uh, uh, and and his and the way he uh, led the civil rights movement. W- what do you remember most about watching that unfold? Uh, where were you and all that was going on? You were out in Athens, I, I assume. Uh, and what did it mean to you? Well, obviously an inspiring figure. You remember the great speeches and the great marches, of course. And unfortunately, you remember the assassination in Memphis. But to be honest with you, uh, Professor Smith and myself, we were a generation that was becoming, quote-unquote, a little bit more militant. And we were get, beginning to embrace some of the younger leaders. Uh, that was We were getting Afros, and it was Stokely Carmichael and those people. So we were kind of twixt and tween that. And we were the beneficiary, the first generation, to really benefit from the doors that were open. I'll say this and stop. I've talked to, on an ongoing basis, a whole lot of white people who don't like what's going on. And they're not just Democrats. i talked to a lot of white Republicans who do not support the, the narrative of Trump and, and people who follow him. What really needs to occur is they need to be given the opportunity to express that, the courage to express that. I'm just telling you, they're not as monolithic as some in the media might suggest. There are a lot of folks who recognize that this is a wrong-headed strategy, and they are seeking an alternative. Um, you know, Fred Smith, I, what Michael just said, uh, we can expand up upon your remarks that somebody's got to do the bending uh, in this moral arc. And he's right to say that as respected and as admired as Dr. King was throughout his life and beyond, um, there were leaders uh, who, uh, Malcolm X, Stokely Carmichael, for that matter, even the Black Panther Party, which worked in communities, which had a more uh, a more militant or more activist approach to civil rights, and they were important, too. Sure, there were, but lots of approaches, and, uh, and collectively uh, they worked. Um, you know, I, I do. I do think there's a lot of power in love and in nonviolence, uh, and uh, and I think kind of on days like this, reflecting on the power of of those values and that strategy uh, uh, is is really helpful um, because it's you know how do we get back to a point where you know in 2006 the last time the Voting Rights Act was reauthorized, 98 votes in the Senate, 98 votes. The signed by the President George W. Bush. The reauthorization by that was signed by uh, by President uh, Reagan. The reauthorization by that was signed by President Nixon, uh, and and so um, this this energy is still it's still present, right? And it's uh, and it's and we have to find ways to uh, to amplify that and to and to tap into that. And I think uh, I think love uh, and nonviolence are the most accessible ways to bring us back together. Uh, Maria, uh, since voting rights isn't the only uh, ground on which civil rights is being uh, uh, fought for today, you know the business community better than any journalist around. How are things going in uh, in Atlanta's corporate community? And Al Vivian would uh, have a, a, a thought or two about that as well. Maria? Well, I think after the Rodney, um, uh, when when you had everything going with George Floyd and the 
riots and um, I, I think there was an awakening that happened among a lot of business leaders and a lot of change done at um, especially some of the larger corporations um, but I think it's important that the pressure stays on and that they support uh, politicians who are willing to do the kind of voting reform that needs to happen. Uh, I worry about that. I did just want to make a, a quick point uh, to the militants in the crowd, um, Michael and Fred or whatever. I, I feel sometimes uh, King gets shortchanged. That last year of King's life, he was he he was taking on everybody. Uh, you know, taking on LBJ, who had passed the civil rights and, and uh, voting rights legislation by being against the war. He was talking about economic um, in- inclusion in many ways, saying that, you know, the, the evils of poverty and what that meant. You listen to some of his talks, it, it really, you can feel how strong he was. And I, I feel like sometimes we do him a... Um, and like a disjustice when we do not uh, honor some of the things that he was speaking for uh, at the time of his death. Thanks for that. Al? <clears throat> are we yeah. making progress? Is the business community, we're about two minutes out, is the business community making progress, Al? Well, it's like the opening lines of that old Dickens tale, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Mm-hmm. So they are making some progress, um, but not nearly enough. Uh, there's a lot of talk, but not enough walk. Uh, so we need to see more happening. And, and, and as was said by Maria, uh, somebody's got to keep the pressure on. And as said by Fred, somebody's got to do the bending. And so that takes all of us out there pushing them to do more and more. They have a financial benefit in fixing this, though. Um, Jim, uh, one of the things we can say, I don't have the data in front of me, but we know that uh, there are minority leadership in the big corporations in the state of Georgia is still uh, lacking. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and uh, you can see, quite frankly, you can see it when the legislature convenes every year, uh, and, and and that is there is has become a, a great hesitancy uh, on the part of uh, corporate giants like Coke and Delta. To really step out front, and it's and you can kind of understand understand it because they have become drawn into this fight uh, over over uh, over who's going to have power uh, in in a future America. We boy, I want to thank you all. You have big pack panel today, and I thank you all for your observations. And um, I, I really enjoyed listening to what you had to say about the legacy of Doctor. King Fred Smith, Maria Saporta, Al Vivian, Michael Thurman, and Jim Galloway. It was a pleasure to have you all on Political Rewind. I'm thinking as we conclude today's show that um, I, I, I can't tell you how fortunate I feel that, to go back to where I started, that I ended up in Atlanta because I do think about uh, the great, great civil rights leaders like Dr. King, like uh, Al's father, C.T., and so many others who came from here and uh, went on, on to change the country. And as Al Vivian says, really were the ones who created the American democracy. We're out of time. Back tomorrow. Take care. Stay healthy. Wear your mask. Get a booster shot. Bye. Bye.